Amen. I'm so proud of our tech team and our, our video and audio team. Boy, they put a lot of work into putting those things together for us. Fantastic, isn't it? Good work. All right, well, we're going to be talking about neighboring. And so starting a new, serv- uh, a new yeah, sermon series. And um, I'm excited about it, as I always am. And uh, we choose these series to just be kind of pertinent to what we're doing, kind of the life flow of the church. And, and of course, we're starting our, our new small group, so we really want to encourage you to get involved. And, uh, you know, the church, as we have learned, really functions best when people gather together and we fellowship together and we share gifts. We just can't do it all in the services like this. You're all facing this way, and it's my chance to minister to you and the gift that God has given me. And, uh, but when you go house to house, when you gather with other believers, that's your chance to really discover and to deploy, to really start using your gifts, and so many more things can happen as a church becomes a church in that, in that mode. So I encourage you to sign up. It uh, it's, can be life-changing. It can be uh, life-fulfilling, goal-fulfilling, as far as a lot of things that God wants to do in your life. But we're also going to be talking about outreach. We're talking about really just being open to the whole concept of letting people minister to us. So we're going to talk about neighboring tonight, and we're going to let Jesus, of course, teach us. And he sets the record straight. So tonight we're going to begin with week one, talking about who is my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? When we talk about loving our city, what are we really saying? Love the dirt? Love the buildings? The geographical location? Maybe. But what we're really saying is that we love the people. Now, this is a bit hard, okay? Because some people are really hard to love. Isn't that right? In fact, I think most of us are tempted to say that we love some people and not others. We tend to love our our own, whatever that may mean. We tend to love those who we perceive loves uh, love us first, or we show, or that they show us honor, show us respect, or even just plain tolerate us. Right? When it comes to people, I think we've drifted just a bit, maybe a lot. In fact, I think people show more loving concern for animals or a tree than they do for people. People will strap themselves to a tree to save it. Some will do rather strange things to draw attention to what they perceive is unloving behavior. But when it comes to people, I think we have bitten into a lie. Our hearts have grown calloused. You know, and the Bible tells us, Paul even warned Timothy, said in the last days that the love for one another would grow cold. But we've bitten into this lie and our hearts have grown calloused when we turn a deaf ear to suffering, whether it be for trafficked children or for babies or for people that we see suffering in any way, injustice. Perhaps we believe that the end justifies the means, but Proverbs tells us that all evil behavior will not go unpunished. During the days of Jesus' ministry here on earth, he he confronted a broken religious system that had manifested itself into a lifeless, loveless form that denied God's sovereign rule and love for all mankind. If you read in Luke chapter 10, you will see that one of the moments that Jesus rejoiced in, in what I believe was an emotional outburst, He got excited 
about seeing the Father bless the poor and the unprivileged. He said, Father, you have revealed the most wonderful things of heaven to these little children, to these people that the rest of the world sees as undeserving. You could see it. And when you read it, he's, he's rejoicing. He's, he's overwhelmed by it. On another occasion, Jesus had the opportunity to teach a proud expert in the law about how things were really about to change. We know Jesus was a revolutionary. He came and he turned the world upside down. And in fact, most of Jesus' teachings can be described as the kingdom of the upside down. So I want to look at this wonderful teaching that Jesus had, this, this confrontation. And there's so much that we can extract from it tonight. Let's take a moment to do that. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following, let's read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Inherit eternal life. Does he mean that it's going to be something that he can earn? Is it something that he's just going to have because of his position? Maybe both. What is written in the law, he replied, this is Jesus, how do you read it? The expert in the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? to press him a little deeper. And of course, Jesus rolls up his sleeves and says, okay, let me teach you. So then he tells a story, and I'll read the story. Then Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What a guy. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Now he is completely set up, isn't he? He's got to, he can only go in one direction or he'll be a real jerk. He chooses not to be the real jerk. The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So what we have here is a very powerful opportunity. Jesus is an expert at this, at doing some amazing things. Now, if we look at the story, and I, I'd like to do that before I get into my, my overview points, what I want you to see is just, just so you understand the story, there's, there's a lot of culture in this. There's, there's, there is some things that might help to unfold it, uh, uh, unfold it a little bit better for you. But Jesus is 
is really setting him up, really challenging him by taking the man who is the one who shows love, he's one of his arch enemies. For him to use the Samaritan as it to be the one who shows the love is an absolute in-your-face type situation. The Samaritans are considered less than dogs to the Jews. They're half-breeds. They are the peoples that were left over after the Babylonian captivity and were left to stay. Most of them were poor and you know, uh, struggling. And they intermarried with the peoples that came in whether it be Assyrians or, or Babylonians or people from all over the world. So they really were just a mixed race. But yet they still hold on to, held on to rather, their, their Jewish heritage. And so what they created was really somewhat of a messed up syncretism. Jesus confronts a Samaritan woman later. So for Jesus to use this individual is really a tremendous setup. To force that expert in the law to say that he was a good person, even a spiritual person, that would get anywhere close to uh, uh, fulfilling the two major parts of the law, as the expert you know, said truthfully, would have been a, just would have been a challenge. And so the Samaritan just goes over the top. He uses a priest. He uses a Levite to say they're the ones who go on the other side of the Lord, very heartlessly avoiding the man, having no pity for him whatsoever. And it makes you wonder sometimes in the stories that Jesus would use, and I believe this with all my heart, in studying the New Testament as often as I have, I believe that Jesus often used what we would think are parables that I think he often used experiences that they themselves had. So that he, he, he went even further. It wasn't just making up a story. We know he's omniscient. <laughs> and so he had the capability of knowing what they have done. And so I got a funny feeling that either he saw this or he was a part of it. Maybe he saw his father do it when he was walking with him. Either way, this was a very, very powerful illustration to say that a man who should know better completely ignores the need. Now, it doesn't tell you who the man was that was injured, but we know he wasn't a Samaritan or Jesus would have identified him as such. And if that is true, then the Samaritan did something that's quite remarkable. And that was help somebody that from his vantage point <laughs> didn't deserve it at all. We'll look at that. So then the Samaritan takes out, what, two denarii, two covered. Now, if you look at it, anybody can do the search on this. You can Google it right now. Two denarii, uh, one denarii was about what you would make in a day's wage. So if you worked all day, and it was for the, the, the common laborer, it says, then a day's wage is what he took two days' wage and gave it to the innkeeper and said, let this cover it. So that would have been a significant amount of money, wouldn't it? It would have been something significant, in other words, to say, you know, he didn't just drag him up to the hotel and leave him and hope that somebody else would do something. No, 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 he, he took that step. And then on top of it all, he says, I'll come back and pay you whatever, you know. I mean, that's, that, that's over the top, isn't it? That's incredibly over the top. And so we see in this story Jesus really presenting a compare and contrast as to what really the fulfilling of the law is. The fulfilling of what this is is really the heart of God. And so let's jump into that. Jesus is telling us through the eons of time that 
we need to take a little bit closer examination of who our neighbor is. And even more, more powerfully true, we need to take time to examine our own hearts because that's really what it really comes down to, doesn't it? See, what we need to understand when we talk about our neighbor and looking at this teacher in particular and the expert in the law. The expert in the law is correct, doesn't he? He, he is able to parrot back biblical truth. He knows it word for word. And that is something that we're not supposed to miss. Luke records this for the particular reason of, of its poignancy, of, of the fact that it has such a powerful impact on what it did to everyone who was listening. That this man knew the word of God. He's an expert in the law. And yet he's trying to use this as an opportunity to set Jesus up, to confuse him. But Jesus, of course, with the power of, of truth and knowing what is the heart behind the law, was able to completely push him into an area that he was unfamiliar with. And what, what am I talking about there? The fact of the matter is, he says, you are correct in answering it, but you do not know God. You knew the words, you know the religion, but you don't know the guy who spoke those. You don't know where, where it's coming from, or you would have an app. You, you would understand this. You would understand this, who your neighbor was. You would understand the heart of God, which clearly he did not. He knew the answer. He did not know the Lord. He did not know God, and therefore its application. And folks, there is the huge difference that we need to really, right from the get-go, understand about this story. Is that the Word of God has application. It doesn't just stop in us. It is not just rote memory. It is supposed to impact us. It's supposed to get inside us in such a way as it transforms us. It changes us. And we begin to see the world differently. Now, and what Jesus is teaching here is that we need to see people differently. And folks, I'm telling you, boy, do we need that. <laughs> In fact, to be a person who loves people, to do what even is suggested here. I mean, when you read that, doesn't it make you a little uncomfortable to just think, mm, I don't know if I'm going to cough up that much, much money for a person that doesn't respect me. Because I want you to see that. That's an important piece of this story that, that, that's not really brought up, but I, I, I mean, it's not missed on me. The Samaritan has a two-way struggle here. One, he knows he is not, I mean, among his own kind. If it had been another Samaritan, another person of his race, perhaps he would have been a lot more motivated and done only what he was expected to do. But clearly he helped a person who he knew despised him. And that's big stuff. And you say, well, David, where do you get that? Well, I, Jesus has already taught us that in other places. To do what? Love our enemies? That's right. But the teacher of the law can't get it, can't see it, because it is, he is stuck on truth and religion and yet it's not gotten, it's not permeated his heart. Folks, that's where we are, okay? Can Christians even get into that place? Oh, absolutely. 
Not only do I know that because of my own experiences, my own personal experiences, but I know that because of what I see and what I watch and what I read and what people do in the name of Jesus loves you. So what we learn right off the bat here, folks, is that just knowing the word is not enough. It's not enough. Let's look at the second point. What happens here in this experience is, is that the teacher, the expert in the law, his pride is revealed in his quickness to justify himself for his religious adherence. To say, you know, I mean, we could fill in the bank and blank. If we just made this a, um, a modern rendition, we might, the expert in the law might have said, well, I go to church every week. Or, you know, I read the Bible every day. Or I attended, I've got a perfect record in my Sunday school attendance. Or I, you know, have memorized, I mean, I've memorized, you know, 25 verses in the Bible, whatever it might be. And so you see the expert in the law saying, look, I, I, I'm an expert in the law. And I'm not going to let this rabbi, which just means teacher, right? They know he's just a Nazarene. They know he's, he's just a carpenter. Nobody can touch the fact that he, he's good at what he does. But he is, he, he is tested where we're all tested. And that is that little bit of pride inside us. That little bit of something that we want to defend why we do what we do. Or what we don't do. A person's position, I'm sorry, jumped ahead. I do, therefore I am. That's what, what we, 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 we come to. We feel like that we are defined by our actions. And these actions can be religious in nature. And we think that is enough. And yet Jesus is saying, look, you've got to have more than just action. You've got to have more than just action. I'll explain exactly what I'm talking about here. What he's saying is, it is about the motive. It is about what is really going on in the inside. And you know what? People in the end really know the difference, don't they? They really do. That when they know, and they can see it in your eyes, that and, and it, it, you know, whether it be us taking those lunches and those meals throughout the city, and they see the passion in that person's eyes to say, you know, I look, I, only, I know this is only a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but to me, it's a denarii. <laughs> to me, this is, this is, I'm giving you a part of my life, and I want you to have it right now. See, in the end, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's why you do it. And so this expert in the law, who knows how many religious things he, he had done. No, I mean, by the very fact that he's trying to justify himself, he's saying, look, I've done a whole lot of neighboring. Who do you say is a neighbor? See? Because he sees Jesus as kind of snubbing him a little bit. He says, well, go do those things. And you're going to be fine. And you will live. I love Jesus' response. He doesn't say you're going to get saved. And now that's, I'll come back to that. He's not talking about getting saved here at all. So Jesus describes the current situation. A person's position does not determine the heart. So it doesn't matter whether you're an expert in the law. It doesn't matter you've gone to church all your life. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what color you, you are. It doesn't matter what you've been exposed to, what you know, what you don't know. In fact, it's, it's how much 
of the love of God really in you. And as that is coming out of you in such a way as that people see Jesus. That see, people see what real love is. It's what he's really, he's really pushing this man to see. Again, a person's position does not determine the heart. Real love, in the end, does turn into action. It absolutely does. See, the Samaritan, he says, it take, he takes pity. He can't walk by what is going on there and saying, I don't care who he is. I don't care what he's done. In fact, let's just go through a scenario right here for the average individual, perhaps even an American who's in the same situation. All of a sudden they're going down, maybe you know, they're driving down the road and they see this person on the side of the road, they're hurting, and wife says, hey, don't you think we should pull over? No, I, I have no idea. Perhaps he deserved that. Right? We go into so many different things. Now, I'm not saying it would have always been the, the safe situation to do, Perhaps we'll know that. Perhaps the Spirit of God can lead us to know. Perhaps we even know the person. And maybe it's a person that you don't like so much. Maybe it's a person you think, man, I just saw them talking real bad about me or about our church or about this or that. Man, they're getting what they deserve. Fourthly, Jesus was not telling this man how to get saved. He wasn't. And that can be a major mistake in how you're looking at this teaching. What he was revealing to him was his own heart and how calloused it really was. He was revealing his hypocrisy, and that's the word. Jesus would later tell them and show them how to inherit eternal life. This just wasn't the moment. Remember? Jesus said, this is how you, he said, believe. Believe on the one. This guy wasn't even to that place yet. He said, look, you got hypocrisy and pride, and I can't even talk to you about how you're going to inherit eternal life until you deal with that. Why? Why is this, why is Jesus explaining this, you know, the, the hypocrisy in this man's life. Because, and how had he, had he gotten to this place? So this is really what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you don't know God, then you can't see like God. And how does God see? God sees all people as his children. You know, one of the most remarkable things that I have experienced in my own life, and a lot of times this has been some, somewhat arduous, to come to the place where I can really see people the way God sees them. And, but what I've noticed is that to the depth that I embrace and understand my own personal depravity, when I understand what I have been fully forgiven of, when I understand that I could be that person on the side of the road, or I could be anything other, that, that, that maybe I was the one who beat him up and put him there. That until I begin to see people the way God sees them, then, then my heart is not really being transformed. So, and, and this is hours and hours and hours of counseling talking here. When I can look across the desk at somebody and say, well, look, you need to forgive that person. I can't forgive them. 
And then, of course, I go for the pastoral takedown. And it goes like this. Well, then why are you asking God to forgive any of your sins? Why are you even doing that? Do you expect God to forgive? Well, of course I expect God to forgive my sins. Well, what does he say in Matthew 18? If you don't forgive others when they sin against you, neither will I forgive your sins. And so what we have here is Jesus exposing the heart right down to its core to show us. And see, our heart really can't open until we start to see people or to even insert ourselves into their place. That's a big one, isn't it? Folks, that's where we got to go. As Christians, that's where we have to go. We've got a lot of nonsense going on in our culture right now. And we've got a lot of division and a lot of hate and a lot of struggle and a lot of accusation. And as Christians, we have got to rise above this. Now, leaving it to ourselves, we're going to get drawn right into us and we're going to just fall right into the trap. We're going to try to be religious. We're going to try to just ignore it. We're going to try to do everything but everybody else does. But when, the moment we let Jesus into our heart and the moment we begin to see ourselves in real context and know that, yeah, you know, I'm broken. I need a Savior. I expect and want God to heal me, to restore me, to set me free. It doesn't matter what they've done. Because if they're God's child, then they are forgivable. They are redeemable. In fact, the likelihood of them being in heaven is pretty high. You know, I joke with people, and this is not to be a racial statement. But when you get to heaven, you're going to see a lot of Chinese. A lot more than people who look like you. Isn't that interesting? Because they come to Christ by the thousands every day. By the thousands. It's amazing. And if that bothers you, well then, we need to talk. And you need to be hearing this message. But when we open our hearts to see the world the way God sees, and that's the thing. And that's when I'm sitting in, as I'm counseling them, talking to that person across the desk to say, look, you need to forgive your father. You need to forgive your mother. You need to forgive your brother. You need to forgive that next door neighbor. You need to forgive that person who abused you, who cursed you, who did all these evil things. When you're able to see them the way God sees them, that's when the lights come on. I know that was the only way that I could do it, to forgive the people in my life who hurt me. To be able to say things like this, you know what? I don't know what they went through. I know the way they treated me, perhaps somebody treated them that way. And now they're all filled with bitterness. And they're just passing it on to me. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they find you. I pray that they are able to come to the light. See, only Jesus. And only that transformative work of us pushing past the hypocrisy to see people the way God, to see that every single human being is, is, is our neighbor. They are. See, the point is this. The Samaritan, the least respected and least likely to do what is right, 
because he is despised by the Jews and owes them nothing, is the very one who slashes through man's hypocrisy and loves his neighbor in a way that he would want to be loved. That's it. That's Pastor David's summary of that right there. He didn't need to do it. No one expected him to do it, but he did do it because he opened his heart. And Jesus pointed that out and said, now there is an act of real love because it was not expected. And it came through and pushed through the darkness of bitterness, pushed through the judgment. It pushed through the comparison and all the history and all the struggle and all the mess that this world vomits up to get in our way. And to make us just people who continue to repeat the same curse over and over, sickeningly over and over again. So we've got this phrase, right? I love my city. And I remember when we first started that, it was a challenge, wasn't it? We put the sweatshirt on, put on a little hoodie. I love my city. You're walking around in town and, and, and you had to believe it. You can't wear the t-shirt and not believe it. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. I'm not saying a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or a hat's going to help you out that way, but you had a choice to make, didn't you? And it pushed us into and out of our, into something that God wanted for us and what we knew was biblical, but it pushed us out of our comfort zone. And to get out of your comfort zone is where real change happens. It does. I didn't grow up here. And you know, and I remember when I moved here, there was a lot of sayings that I won't repeat here, but things, I mean, one thing I did hear is that this is where pastors come to die. And I thought, nice. <laughs> I just won't be listening to that one. And then so many other things. And, but where do those things come from? They come from people. They come from people who are broken, people who are disheartened, people who have been hurt, people who have been perhaps you know, dishonestly taken advantage of. I mean, folks, look. All that crud happens in every town, USA, every single day. The fact of the matter is, when a people rise up and say, you know, enough of that nonsense, and they become the change, and they become the message by living it, and by loving people instead of just waiting for things to happen, See, that's the amazing thing, you know, that I, I shared with, you know, these guys remember when I was sharing with an individual, I said, you know, there are, nobody has a faith for this community or cassette of communities. And it's when a group of people rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to start seeing this city the way God does. And I'm going to start doing acts of real kindness, whether they be random or determined, it doesn't matter. You can change your culture. By changing the hearts of people and loving people. That's where it starts, folks. It doesn't come from programs. It doesn't come from building buildings, although we need them. It doesn't come from all the different things we were hoping to, in, in, you know, to happen out there on the, on the, the, the strip out there or, or whatever. It doesn't happen that way. What happens is when people start really loving people and stepping through it, stepping across the road and starting to act like Jesus would act. You know, they say the most segregated time in the United States is Sunday morning at 10 a.m. It's kind of sad, isn't it? 
Not a good example. See, the story is as much about what the priest and the Levite didn't do as what the Samaritan did. They didn't see the man. Whatever his beliefs or his race, they didn't see him as deserving of love. So how do we do this? We ask God to do these things in us. This is our action points for tonight. First of all, folks, we got to ask God to forgive us of our pride and our hypocrisy. We've all got some. In fact, if that makes you mad, that definitely tells me you got some. <laughs> I mean, because you'd be like, oh, man, I'm just clueless, man. I'm... No. We all go, hmm. We do. And if that's the case, we'd be just like that expert in the law, wouldn't we? And we'd be saying to Jesus, but Jesus, hold on, hold on. But didn't you see what I did last week? Didn't you see what I did? I mean, I read, I'm reading through the Bible in 90 days. Surely that's got to count for something. That's just sin talking, man. That's just our our trying to defend ourselves, but God is trying to get in there. And you know what I've learned? Is just let him have it. (laughs) If you feel that reaction come up, then just say, oh man, you got me. So repent. Ask him to forgive you. And he will forgive you. And in fact, when we let him in there, I, it, you will feel kind of like the Grinch, right? The little the shriveled up heart. That when you let it, when you let Christ into your heart, that he'll, you know, I wish I memorized that. That the heart will expand and grow and be filled with the love of Christ and for people. Because, you, again, you're not going to see them for what they, what they look like, what they've done, perhaps what they're associated with. You see them with the eyes of God. And that's, a, I'm telling you right now, that is the biggest transformation I have ever experienced in my life. And I'm, I'm still experiencing it. <laughs> We've got to ask God to forgive us. Number two, we need to thank God for our forgiveness and incredible grace that's shown to us. You need to do that. You need to thank him for it because here's the deal. The more grateful you become for what God has done with inside you and are aware of what he's done inside you, you want others to have it. And when you see them all filled with anger and when you see them all filled with bitterness and seeing how they're mistreating other people, then you look at it and you say, I know that. Man, I know that. How do you know it? Because you did it. Because it was you. But ask God, to, ask God to be grateful. The more you take notice of the grace of God operating in your life, the more you're going to want others to have it. That's so true. Ask God to help us see people the way he does. He says, love our enemies. Whew, tough, tough. But if we have the heart of God, then we don't see him as our enemies. We see him as potential believers. We see the potential We absolutely do. Ask God to help us reach out to other people to begin with. See, we need to start doing that. Now, there are some people, you've got that natural ability. You just, you know, you're like Jamie Taylor over here, Pastor Jamie. He doesn't know a a stranger. He goes to, we send him over to Lowe's to buy a a light bulb. Three hours later, he comes back. It's because he's met half the city. What's that? No light bulb. That's right. With no light bulb because he forgot. So very true. (laughs) 
But I'll tell you what, man, he pastored that whole building in that short time. He sure did. He sure did. Not all of us are like that. Not all of us are like that. You know, that's okay. God needs to help us kind of push us out of our comfort zone. You know, sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Man, I, you see that person in the line, or you see that person's having a difficult time getting groceries into their car. You, you see these different things going on. I'm a neighbor that's forgotten to bring their trash in. Instead of you cursing them and calling down fire from heaven upon them, why don't you walk over there and push it up into the yard for them? Start doing some things to, to, and what you'll notice is the more that you do with a heart that's already been broken, the more you're going to like it, and the more you're going to see the fruit of it, not only inside you, but how it changes people. We must start somewhere. If we have been hurt by people, then of course we're reluctant, but before you begin the new, to become the new judge of men, understand that ultimately in your heart, these, these last statements are going to hurt a little bit, hang in there. Understand that ultimately in your heart, you are not far away from those who mistreated you. How? If you're envious, vengeful, hateful, judgmental, retaliatory, or self-righteous, then you and I are in need of healing and transformation. We are only going to repeat in some other form what we ourselves say we hate. And that's, that's ultimately our problem right there. And it all begins with us not seeing people the way God sees them. And our eyes can be healed. There is no doubt. So let's finish tonight by asking God to open our eyes, amen? I mean, you can't slap yourself hard enough to get your eyes to open. You can't put yourself in any situation that's going to make that happen. It starts with a choice. And, it, and, and then what is that choice? It's reaching out to, the, to a God who's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. I, I can't even do it. I'm having to bring you right to the Savior, to the transformer, to the one who can drop the scales from your eye, eyes. But what you can do tonight is to open your heart to the possibility. And he'll do the rest. And he will do the rest. Man, I have seen the most curmudgeon, nasty individuals, and I'm not kidding, that turn into the most loving, kind, generous people. Only God can do that. Only God can do it. I'm not saying that any one of you was that individual, but what I'm saying is, I have seen it. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand up this evening. We got to get good at neighboring. We got to get good at it. That's what changed the world, folks. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But it's Jesus that they see in us. We got to let him in. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, I thank you. Lord Jesus, that you taught in such impacting, powerful ways and that we're able to still enjoy it. We thank you for your word. Your word is, is that double-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What is of the flesh? What is of the spirit? Lord, what is of us? And what is all you? Lord, we come to you tonight, God, and we ask you to forgive us. 
Lord, for any, even just a residual bit, Lord, of hypocrisy can be enough. So, Lord, forgive us for that. Our pride, our religious pride. Lord, maybe we're just angry at society. Maybe we're angry at what we see going on in the world. There's a lot of that. There's plenty to go around. But, Lord, I ask you right now that, Lord, we would turn to you with all of it. Because as a result, it does not give us license to go mistreat people. In fact, Lord, that shuts the gospel down. Help us. Help us. Lord, I'm praying that all across this room tonight, Lord, that you would remove the scales from our eyes. Remove, Lord, the envy. Remove the anger, the bitterness, the blindness. And Lord, begin to fill our hearts, God, with a new love. Can't generate it. Can't think this through. We're just, we need you to do it in us, Lord. Miraculously. Transformatively. Supernaturally. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that tonight, God, you have forgiven our sins. If we're repentant, then you promise to wash us and to cleanse us of our sin. And Lord, I'm asking right now is to, to, to grace, grace be poured into us. And because tonight we know you've forgiven us, and Lord, we can walk out of these doors and we can find someone else who we see, whether they're family or friends or a, a stranger, and say, my friend, can I tell you about what I have tasted and have seen and have experienced? Help us, God. Lord, bless us and keep us tonight. Lord, I pray, God, you would hold us together. That the church, Lord, would not crumble. We would not disappear. In fact, Lord, seeing all the people here tonight, God gives me just, I'm so excited. Lord, as the enemy comes in like a flood, Lord, you raise up a standard against it. Lord, the hope of the world is the body of Christ, period. And a body of believers who believe in the Word of God and are filled with the Holy Spirit and that are going forth and showing the world that Jesus loves them. And we love them too because we have tasted and seen. Lord, bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.